Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 338, recorded February 7th, Super Bowl Sunday, 2021. A little bit of sad news as far as Star trek goes. As of the recording of this, uh, Christopher Plummer recently passed away. Mm-hmm. Famous for being General Chang in uh, Star Trek Six. He was great. He was yeah. great in that. Yep, and that's what he's most famous for. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a long and storied acting career. I think he's Canadian, isn't he? And uh, yes, he's a Von Trapp. <laughs> Von Drop. Yeah. So. Uh, well, they were Austrian, weren't they? I, th- I think so. I don't yeah. really remember. I, I haven't seen so, Sound of Music in ages. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah. So I was, I was, you know, everybody was talking about people. The him passing away, mm-hmm. and, you know. I, I mainly know him from Sound of Music, uh, Star Trek Six, and I did watch that one where he replaced uh, Kevin Spacey at the last minute. Um, oh, that movie? Yeah. Okay. Which was he was pretty good in it too. I mean, he, he won the Academy Award, so obviously he was good. Okay, now you got me intrigued. What, what what's what was the name of that movie? Oh, what was the name of that movie? I didn't see it. I don't know. It was it's it's based on a true story where uh, you know, oil magnates. Uh, grandson got kidnapped oh and, and he plays okay. the grandfather that gets doesn't to get want to give now. michelle williams the money to uh pay the ransom oh but it was originally filmed with kevin spacey and then that whole me too thing came out with against kevin spacey and right richard uh not richard uh, ridley scott went back and just refilmed all of the scenes with uh christopher Plummer at the last minute <sighs> <laughs> I'm sure I mean, that it was literally like them, like two weeks before it came out. It, it was—it's pretty amazing how fast they were able to to re-edit that movie. Well, is he all a support- the money in the world? I think that's what it's called, something like that. But that he was a supporting character, or was he one of the main characters that was in the movie like crazy? Uh, he's in the movie more than you think he is. Well, I mean, or I mean, he's in it quite a bit. I mean, yeah, he's, he has a lot of scenes with Michelle Williams. He has a lot of scenes with Marky Mark. <laughs> Mark. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Well, yes, that is bad. But it, was he ninety one? Wasn't he like ninety or ninety one? Yeah, yeah, he was in his. Yeah, so that's a hell of a run. Jeez. Yeah, and to still be, you know, still acting actively, still, still so active, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So so we've got hope for, you know, Patrick Stewart hanging around for a chunk of time more. Yeah, I hope so. But aside from that, no real big Star Trek news paramount plus is about to start and Mm -hmm. they are they Mm -hmm. are uh, heavily showing pike and spock and all the promos for that so it makes me feel like strange new worlds really gonna happen oh yeah i i think it is i mean if they're gonna spend money on anything that's what they should be doing and i think (laughs) they might already be filming discovery season four which which i hadn't heard that but uh i saw that in a couple places a couple days ago so that's good news if it's true. Yeah. Captain Burnham, official. 
Of course, what are they going to do when Saru comes back? I don't know, but yeah. Do you like those uniforms, by the way? You you did finish. Future ones? Yeah. Okay. So Yeah, I like them. At the very end of the last episode, Captain Burnham, and then they had the new gray uniforms. Um, At least new to them, anyway. Which makes so much sense. I mean, how long are you going to stay in those, you know, the gold and silver and, and blue ancient uniforms? They're finally switching over, so that's good. But it's like, I'm not crazy about those uniforms. Why? I just, uh, I don't know. I, I definitely don't like the asymmetry to the bottom of it, the bottom of the tunic or jacket, whatever it is. Uh, does it hang down or something? Well, on one side further than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it just looks odd. And, and, and mind you, you know, <laughs> uh, Ga- the guy that played Lorca, I forgot his name, but the actor, but he made some comment about, like, if he ever goes back and does something, even though his Mirror Universe character died off, they could, of course, bring back our universe version of Lorca. Right. And he just made some comment about having to uh, get back into that cat suit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, you're right about that. Those are pretty form-fitting uniforms. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, these new gray ones seem a lot less form-fitting. So I guess that's more comfortable. More people can pull it off. I guess, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but, yeah. But the, I mean, they're all about the asymmetry, and uh, I mean, all the uniforms have that. Well, collar, yeah, the collar, right? that the collar. Collars, yeah, I, I never. And I hate. I uh, hate that. I didn't like that either. I didn't like that either. I mean, quite frankly, I don't like the uniforms. <laughs> Discovery <laughs> uh, in the in the first four seasons, just not crazy about them. I mean, I love the Pike uniform, and you know when it's the gold oh, and the man. normal color, but yeah. except for the. Except for the collar thing. But talk about cat suits again. Good lord, those things are skin tight. Yeah. Yeah, they'd have trouble breathing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how they can do it. I mean, if James Doohan was still alive and could come back, he would not work out in those things at all. (laughs) Well, I can't see uh, Jonathan Frakes or any any of the actors. Oh, my God. I mean... That's why Frakes is behind the camera. Even... Brett Spiner. I mean, none of them are as fit as they were back then. Well, and who would be? I mean, they're like in their 60s and stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how could you still do that? The guy that plays Vision. Yeah. Paul Bettany? Something Paul like that. Paul yeah. Isn't he like 60 or something? Uh, at least in his upper 50s. And watching the uh, WandaVision show, it's like, gosh darn it, that guy is skinny and in great shape. Uh, but I know he is not a young man anymore. So it's like, some of these people are just amazing. Right. Anyway, okay. I mean, what about Saru? I mean, he's... Saru? Yeah, that guy's God, that guy's a stick. Beanpole. <laughs> but he's not as old. Well, I don't know. How old is... He's probably at least in his 50s, maybe. Maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. Some of these people, it's amazing. Genetics. I just assume everybody's older than me, but I got to remember that I'm now old, so that's not always true. No, oh, that's funny. <laughs> you ain't old uh, compared to me. So uh, what we got? Uh, two new visions this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these are the uh, photo montage comics by John Byrne. Yep. Love it. Love it. Uh, I did the first one, which is issue 18, and it's a very wet one. Very wet one. Um. And they both basically have the same same exact plot, which is kind of weird to be put back to back. Back to back like this, like 
he had a good idea of planet killing thing. Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you want to change it up a little bit? Yes, yes. This one will be dry. The first one wet. Aside <laughs> from that, like, that will be the that will be the big uh, distinguishing that's, that's, thing. That's exact same story aside from that. But uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about it if you want. Okay, so I am ready to do the synopsis for the first one, and then we can get into discussing the meat of the matter. Star Trek New Visions, issue 18, title What Pain It Is to Drown, published date October 2017, of course John Byrne, photomontage, edited by Chris Rial, assistant editor Chase Marotz, published by Ted Adams. The cover features the Enterprise underwater, and no, this is not the JJ-verse Enterprise underwater, this is... The original Taws Enterprise, minus nipples, underwater. And it's a cool cover because he's got, uh, Byrne has got like thousands of computer-generated bubbles. I mean, these got to be computer-generated, right? I got I got to imagine because there's like, there's like probably a thousand of them on here, all different shapes and sizes. And they're in front of the, the, the Enterprise uh, from our standpoint. So it's uh, us, tons of bubbles. Mostly the primary hull. And these bubbles all have a reflection of the Enterprise in them. But because it's it's a bubble, uh, the Enterprise is kind of like curved, or the image of the Enterprise is kind of curved. It's just really cool looking. This, this has to be computer generated. But uh, great job, Mr. Byrne. Uh, and of course it has the title, What Pain It Is to Drown. And uh, let's get on with the synopsis, shall we? The Enterprise is traveling to Polymax star system for routine resupply uh, at Polymax 8. Ahura reports she lost contact with Polymax 8 about three hours ago. Spock reports long-range scans show nothing unusual in the 13-planet star system. Kirk orders speed increase to warp 8 to get there faster. When they arrive, they find the Earth-like world is completely flooded. Noah time. The tops of the buildings sticking out of an unending sea of water. Kirk asks if there are any survivors. Spock responds that the water is toxic and the air too. <clears throat> and the air too humid to breathe. No life forms are detected. Spock reports his scans are detecting the planet's magnetic fields have shifted. He conjectures it's all the new water, but uh, is without explanation how that could have happened. He is also picking up trace elements that should not be part of a planetary ocean. Ahura reports a distress call from planet Tassus 5, that is the next closest habited star system. The signal was cut off almost immediately. Since this planet has no remaining life, Kirk orders maximum warp to Tassus 5. Sulu estimates ETA is 12.5 hours. Kirk and McCoy have a drink in sickbay. Kirk is called to the bridge when the ship encounters globules of water, some more than 30 meters across are in the path. Ahura reports she is picking up a space, a subspace vibration coming from the spheres. Spock agrees there is an organic substance in the water globules. 
it is very primitive and might account somehow for the continued liquid state despite the cold conditions of open space that should have frozen the globules solid by now. They beam a 15-liter sample of the strange water into the ship in a cylindrical container. They move it to sickbay, where Dr. McCoy has placed it into a containment chamber that replicates the conditions of outer space. They open the container, and the water spews out into the test chamber. It then proceeds to move around the chamber, almost as if the water is exploring its surroundings. The ship comes upon a huge water sphere that is a little larger than the Earth's moon. The moon of water forms a cyclonic formation that reaches all the way down into its core. An expulsion of water erupts that hurls water beyond the surface into space. Sulu adjusts orbit to avoid it. McCoy reports the water sample they took earlier has been acting weirdly since they entered orbit around the water moon. McCoy talks Kirk into letting he and Spock go down in a shuttle to carry out close-up tests. Kirk insists they bring along the new environment suits Starfleet sent them. Lieutenant Rand inexplicably joins Spock and McCoy to complete the three-person team. Scotty leaves the shuttle bay doors open on purpose to complete some kind of maintenance. The shuttle parks above the surface. The team gets into their environmental suits and lowers a sample container towards the surface. As soon as the container breaks the surface, a column of water comes upward and envelops the shuttle. The shuttle is dragged down into the water moon. The Enterprise loses contact with them. They locate the shuttle 400 meters below the surface. Kirk orders a tractor beam lock on them to pull them up. A huge column of water follows the tractor beam up to the Enterprise and envelops it totally. Water starts entering through the open shuttle bay doors. Water is getting past the interior shields and flooding the lower decks. The Enterprise is being pulled down towards the water moon. Sula reports the engines are not working normally. <laughs> no, duh. Scotty reports water is getting into the nacelles. Scotty states the obvious and warns Kirk that the Enterprise is designed to hold atmosphere and people in a ship. It's not designed to keep water out. Engineering is flooding. Kirk orders all bulkheads sealed. Atmospheric controls to increase air pressure to push back on the water. Kirk orders all hands to brace for impact as the ship enters the watery moon. Meanwhile, in the shuttlecraft Spock and company are in, they've managed to pump the water out. The shuttle is sitting on some kind of alien platform under the water. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, the crew gets their breathing units on, but in some cases not fast enough. The bridge begins to flood, despite the shuttle doors being closed. The water that is in the ship seems to be reproducing somehow. Back at the shuttle, the trio decide they need to find out who is behind this platform. So they put on their suits and out they go. They encounter an aquatic life form in some kind of suit with two arms and two legs. It asks Spock's team to identify themselves. And this fish guy is not friendly. Kirk leaves the flooding bridge for engineering where Scotty has to show him something. On the way, Kirk consoles a crewman whose partner has died. 
Kirk arrives at engineering. Scotty wants to take Kirk's idea from earlier and one deck at a time push the water out of the ship using air pressure. Meanwhile, on the platform, the alien has made it clear he flooded Polymax purposely. He is a superior species, and he is just fine with removing, i.e. drowning, what they consider inferior life forms. Spock and McCoy concur the tricorder readings of the alien's health, which show he is close to death, very old with multiple internal organ systems on the brink of failure. The alien is surprised that they can tell the status of his health, but he concurs they are correct. He only has perhaps hours to complete his mission and ensure the survival of his race. Chekhov tells Sulu a huge vortex is forming in the water moon, and this time it's really huge and about 5,000 meters away from the ship. Sulu has an idea, but given its risk, he has to run it past the captain. Meanwhile, Captain Kirk is making his way to the bridge as Scotty's plan is effectively draining most decks of water. Kirk makes it to the bridge, and Sulu tells him about how he thinks the Enterprise can ride an upcoming megaspout out and away from the water moon. Meanwhile on the platform, Spock decides a more direct approach with the alien is required, as talking so far has resulted in no progress. Back on the Enterprise, Sulu is pulsating the deflector screens to act as a propeller that is moving the ship towards its ride to the surface and beyond. Spock mind melds with the alien to find out what exactly he's doing and why it flooded all those worlds. The alien dies in Spock's arms and the walls of the platform stop holding water back. The trio enter the shuttle shut the door, and blast out of the now-flooded platform. Chekhov picks up a shuttle on sensors. Kirk orders a tractor beam lock on the shuttle. Sula reports they are 15 seconds to the vortex. Kirk orders increased power to the tractor beam. They need to make sure to maintain their lock on the shuttle. They ride the stream of water up and away from the watery moon. Sulu turns the ship hard to starboard, and they break out of the water stream and into open space. They still have a lock on the shuttle, which also departs the water and hits hard vacuum. The shuttle is brought aboard, but McCoy reports a medical emergency. McCoy says Spock has suffered severe emotional trauma, but Spock Spock says to cut the babying and let's discuss what he has discovered about the alien's plans. Chekhov reports the water moon is freezing. Spock explains that with the alien dead, there is nothing holding back physics. The water will freeze now, that there is nothing to stop it from doing so. Spock says the alien somehow felt solely responsible for the death of his people. His only redemption was to sacrifice his very life to perpetuate his race. McCoy says he felt sorry for the alien, but Kirk says he cannot stop thinking about the millions of people the alien drowned. What a horrible way to die. Kirk recites a few lines from Shakespeare on the topic of drowning, as they move away from a very large ice cube indeed. The end. What can you make with that? A a large snow cone? (laughs) Uh, A very large scotch is possible. 
You, you know how they have those like like round yeah, ice round, cubes or round or square ones, ones, you know, cubes, yeah. you know, whatever. They got they got them in all all shapes these days. Yeah, take right. one of those big ones, a big old crystal glass, and uh, a little Johnny Walker. There you go. Right. Boy, that before, was dumb. I was just about to say before <laughs> I get into the negative stuff, I was going to mention one positive. But, okay. All right, we'll do the negative. First. No, 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 no. Go ahead. What's the no, positive? No, no, no. You've already said it's dumb. Yes. Uh, the whole water thing, man. I. That's not how water works. Well, each, yeah. each deck wouldn't be a little bit. You know, each deck wouldn't have like two or three feet of water. It would be. The bottom decks fill up first, and then the next set, and then well, the next set. But somehow, I agree with you. And they did say that was happening to some degree. But they were also, I mean, when it was in the containment chamber, somehow this water was animated. Right. Um, so it was able to move around on its own to some degree. And then, then they said it was reproducing. So even when they had the shuttle doors closed, and as soon as they... As soon as Scotty said he wanted to leave the doors open for some kind of routine maintenance, it's like, oh yeah, right, okay. Water's going to get in there. Yeah, it's just... Okay, so so they actually put the Enterprise and crew in a situation where the Enterprise was flooded. It was flooded. Okay, so we've never seen that before. So bonus points for showing us something we never saw before. But boy, this was dumb. Yeah, no, it was. I did not like the water. <laughs> yeah. So w- what is the deal with this alien anyway? So how was the alien going to save his people? I mean, he covered over two planets, I guess, with water, right? Polymax and whatever the other one was. But supposedly the water, well, at least life forms that we're used to, it was, you know, it, it was deadly. It had some kind of thing inside of it that, you know, that, that, but, so, I mean, but was that, I mean, does the water contain uh, the alien's people? I mean, are they going to start popping out and making sandcastles like sea monkeys? Old old and crazy. I think he was just senile that he couldn't save his own people, so he'll go out and kill all these other civilizations. Hmm. At least that's how I took it. Right. Well, he did that. Two planets. Millions of people. Dead. Right. Not good. Not good at all. Now, that brings up a good question. I mean... Does the water itself kill you? Um, because it looks like some of the buildings were still poking out, out of the top of the right? water. You think so, that people could go to the upper levels. Yeah, but I mean, I guess at some point the water could have shaped over it, killed them all, and then went back down. You know, how it, well, how it went up into space to capture <clears> the shuttle and stuff like that. So they, they did say that the air was not breathable. Yeah, so. so I well, think- yeah, I guess after all the plants are dead, then wouldn't be making much ox- oxygen anymore. I agree with that. that. That's a good point, too. But they made it sound like the air was poisoned or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, the alien's just a jerk. He somehow controls the water. <laughs> it defies physics. And, uh, and, and he personally, it. he personally can keep it from freezing. All that water. Yeah. Because it's somehow magic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, magnets. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, the, the the only part that I really liked about this issue, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's just an aesthetic thing, is I liked the um, the suits, the, head, the headset thing, and then how the stirrup, the John horse Burke stirrup, kind of drew the plasticky oh. look over their skin and stuff yeah. when they were wearing them. I thought, well, it's better than belts, isn't it? it? What's that? It's better than belts, isn't it? Yeah. At I least it makes a little to... a little more sense. Yeah, I just don't know how he did it technically. I mean, how do you go in and and draw 
or make it look like it, there's like so, like they're wrapped in cellophane or something. It's just really cool how he did it. It is cool, isn't it? And it's not distract. You know, it doesn't distract you from the story. It's just like they explain what it is, and you're like, okay, that's what it is. <laughs> right. So instead of having a magic belt on that generates a force field around you and is able to generate air for you to breathe, they actually have something that's kind of like a, a horse collar kind of thing that goes on you and then has some kind of a screen in front of your head. And then, like you say, there's it looks like a plastic film all over your body or something. Right. Shimmering effect. It's just, it's, it's just amazing what, I mean, anyway. But yeah, the effect is great. I, I agree yeah. with you. So he must have had a 3D model of that helmet so that he could get it into all these different uh, mm-hmm. angles and things yep. like that to put it on these actors that, yep. you know, for photos that were taken 60 years ago. It's pretty <laughs> impressive. It is pretty impressive. I mean, there's one where Ahura has had her station and her left hand is, of course, up touching the earpiece. Um, and her ar- left arm is, is in front of the horse collar, I mean, the, the environmental suit, whatever. So that's, I mean, he must have constructed all that, right? I mean, right. I mean, so her head, her, he starts with the base, which is her head and her arms and everything. And then he removes her left arm. Then he puts the collar on and then he layers the arm back on. I don't know how he did it exactly, but yeah, it yeah. looks pretty good. Yeah, no, it looks really good. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool, it's cool visually, and yeah. the water looks cool, like you said in, on the cover with the little tiny reflections of the Enterprise and the bubbles. Mm-hmm. And that visually, I think this this story is very stunning. Yeah, um, it's just the idea of sentient water, and, and I'm even okay with that. It's just the whole idea of Enterprise flooding. Every deck at the exact same time is filling up at the same rate. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> no, it doesn't at all. And then they're able to pump it all out, and they're saying the nacelles aren't working normally. Well, no, duh. You've got water everywhere. What's the old thing about if you're in the bathtub and, uh, you know, taking a bath and the blow dryer f- falls in and it just electrocutes you? So right, right. what's going on when you're in an entire ship that has huge amounts of electricity flowing through the systems and the, and the ship wiring, and you've got water everywhere? I don't know. Yeah, you would, you would think that you would get shocked. You would think. You would think. Maybe he wrote this and uh, he had Sharknado in mind. Because <laughs> there's a scene in Sharknado where they're in a house okay. that floods, and I think, I think it even floods on the second floor first for oh. some reason. Uh, first? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it shows a scene where they like run out of the house to get to the car, and yet around the house it's not flooded, but inside the house was flooded uh, enough so that there was sharks fl- you know, in the living room and things like that. So, Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, this, this story makes about as much sense as that did. As, as Sharknado. As now, how houses wow. Flood. Wow, Donovan. <laughs> but I was also, when I was watching Sharknado, thinking that, you know, the electricity. I was like, well, they shouldn't they all be shocked? I mean, or did the circuit breaker go off real quick? And they shouldn't have any lights, but they were still using lights and stuff, so. Doesn't make sense. You never cease to amaze me. You're actually trying to make Sharknado make sense. <laughs> I try to make everything make sense. <laughs> but not Sharknado. It can't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... But I gave it a shot, so. Uh, there you go. 
<laughs> give it that college try. I like Sulu's idea about moving to where a big old spout's going to happen, like they, they witnessed previously, and ride it out. And it totally reminds me of Jules Verne's Journey to the Center of the Earth. Ah. So, I don't know if you recall this, either in the James Mason movie, you know, from the, from the late 50s, or maybe they remade Journey to the Center of the Earth with the guy that was in the Mummy yeah, movies. Yeah, Brendan Fraser. Oh, yeah, him, him, Brandon Fraser, right, right. The big thrilling ending, Professor Lindenbrook, or Lindenbrock, whatever, they're on like a raft, and somehow they're pulled down into a whirlpool, and somehow they end up getting ejected through a volcano. And that's how they get back to the surface in a very thrill-packed way. At least the movie, they weren't on a raft. They were on some kind of uh, an ancient Atlantis kind of bathtub or what it was. But it was some, <laughs> some man-made uh, like, like half-sphere or something they were in. So that made a little more sense, but not much. You'd be, you'd be burnt to, to a crisp. Right. Anyway, but the whole, the whole idea of what they're doing here with the water just totally reminded me of uh, being a kid in Chicago and watching Journey to the Center of the Earth, the 59 movie, uh, right. you know, on Sunday morning, Saturday morning, whatever it was. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. James Mason, Pat Boone. There you go. It just reminded me of the Star Trek Eleven, where they were riding out the uh, shockwave from the, um, you know, all the warp cores they dropped. So anytime the Enterprise does a surfing thing, that's 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 the That's what you I think do. of. There you yes. go. Okay, cool. Cool, cool. Don't they uh, do it in in Star Trek Six too, now that I think about it? Doesn't something ride out a uh shockwave? Maybe it was the Excelsior at the beginning. Uh in Star Trek Six. Yeah. The Quest for Peace or whatever that was. Yeah, yeah. That that first explosion of Praxis and then doesn't ex- doesn't Sulu get the Excelsior to kind of ride it like a... Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, now that you... Okay. Boy, I did not remember that one. But I definitely remember it in, in, uh, in the 2009 movie. Is that, was that what you were talking about, the 2009 yeah, yeah. movie? Yeah, that's, that's the one that has the multiple warp cores. That exactly. Got. So they were riding that to get away from the man-made, red matter-made black hole. Exactly. Right, okay. Because as we know... Lots of work course. Oh, all you need. All you need. Uh, I think you only have one. And once you eject that so you don't blow up, you're kind of... Can I use the word screwed? Uh, I'll let you. Okay, thanks. That, that's what I thought. That's the way every other instance of Star Trek has portrayed it. But, mm-hmm. uh, but obviously we were wrong. I guess so. You got a bunch of them. Yep. Just getting back to visuals really fast, I just wanted to point out how cool it looks when the shuttle hits the moon, the water moon. Okay. And... Slurped in? Yeah, so it almost looks like a side view of a big thing of water, and somebody throws ice cubes in. Right. So the, like the water is kind of like coming downward, and the shuttle's there like sideways, like an ice cube, and I just think that's... And getting back to your comment about the visuals being really cool right no it does I, just, cool. I, I wanted to point that out yeah it's actually like caved in like there's like a little tunnel of air above mm-hmm. above the uh the shuttle yeah that hasn't been enclosed yet yep. Yep. it looks cool yeah 
yeah, like I said, I loved the, the look of this story. I thought it looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. One of the best visual issues of New Visions, I think. Very colorful, very... Uh, I liked it. Don't have a lot to say about visually. I think I think it's great. <sighs> and I loved Rand was back, and she... You know, yeah, they shoot her... her they shoehorned her in there. Yeah. I mean, they, so she came up on rotation? Is that what they right. said? Yeah, just a coincidence that it's her turn to go. Okay. Great. I think he really likes Rand. Who doesn't? Well, I like Rand, too, but it's like, you know, I like other characters, too. But he really wants to get her in there. Right. Well, and it, when you stick somebody you know in there, I mean, you know that she's not going to die. So it does take <laughs> away the, uh, oh, this is going to be deadly, right? But right. if you throw, you know, if you throw in just a random red shirt, you know, you're like, ah, he's probably not coming back. Right. They could have killed her off. You don't know. <laughs> just because well, she's in later but... films. Yeah. I just think that just because of the fact they don't have a lot of footage with Rand from the original show, I'm always looking at where they've got her. Right. Just to see, uh, like, oh, where, where might they have gotten that angle from? And of yeah, course, it's almost she... like they put, uh, what's, her, what's her name the, from the very first pilot who gets the. Major Barrett? No, 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 no. The, oh. the scientist from the first episode that, that gets. Her powers from Charlie, not Charlie, but uh, oh, okay, from the second pilot, right? Uh, yeah, that was uh, Sally Kellerman was the actress. Yeah, so it looks like it's her hair. Oh, 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 good catch. But then I don't hmm. know whose body it is. Somebody in a blue suit. Yeah, which is not, you know, that's not Rand. How he puts all this stuff together is just very impressive. Yeah, she does not have the beehive hairdo anymore. No, plus the, it w- that wouldn't have fit in that helmet, anyways. No. <laughs> the Marge Sim, the Marge Simpson hairdo is not there, or she would have just had like a, a really big, big helmet compared to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else on this one? Because we you know, we have one more story in this in this book. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, oh, that's just isn't that? Oh, uh, oh, R H I P. Right. Right. It's one page. Yeah, but I have something to say about it. Oh, so do I. It's like. Okay, let's just let's just do it, and then we sure. can make our commentary. And it's going to be short because it's only one page. Okay, so in these so these are our initials R H I P. The old sly dog Chekhov brings Ahura around to his new private quarters for her to check them out. She gives him a little dig about how long he's been an ensign and had shared quarters with other ensigns. Chekhov talks about how he needs to put his own special touches on the place that is currently quite empty in Spartan. Ahura says she can help. She is getting lots of ideas already, but they can talk about that later. Chekhov says how correct she is about that and comments on how he does not have to address her anymore as sir as he closes the outer door. The end. Yeah, so what are they going to be doing after the door shuts and before they start talking about it again? You ain't freaking kidding. <laughs> what are they insinuating here? Yeah, I, mean, I look, was surprised. Okay, so they have a little relationship going on here that we never knew about? and Or this, this is what I'm... I, I think we're both getting the same thing. Right. And 
they were always having to go to her quarters all the time until he finally got his own quarters, and now uh, they're going to christen his quarters? Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's what I was thinking, too. I mean, I know that she was the one that gave him his new uniform and stuff like that, but nothing from those other issues did I think that they were having a relationship. And then all of a sudden, this one is just like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. And he looks so smug when he's shutting that door. Oh, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he's been promoted. He's no longer an ensign. Right, right. Okay, so I wasn't 100% sure what there is after ensign you know, when you first go up. But I went ahead and did a little a little searching. You pro- you may know already, but I, I didn't. So, um, so the next level up from ensign is supposedly lieutenant junior grade. Right. And then after that is lieutenant, and then there's lieutenant commander, and then there's commander and captain and fleet captain. So I was interested because I can see his sleeve as he's, he has like the okay sign he's making right. with his hand, and you can see a little bit of a sleeve. Not all of it, but a little bit. So I was like, oh, a, a clue. So, and it's just one braid. It's just one gold braid all the way around. That you can see. Right? That you can see, exactly. So I went ahead and did a search for Star Trek Taw's sleeve braid. And I, I came up with something. And right. it shows an ensign has no braid at all on a sleeve. At least that's what, that's what this graphic shows. And then if you're a lieutenant junior grade, you have one band of braid, but it's like broken. So it's... It's not a continuous band. It's like little little chunks of gold, and then then you can see the the blue or what or whatever color uniform is beneath uh, you know beneath the braid. But then I'm looking at this, and okay, so you don't get to you don't get a solid braid band until you are a lieutenant. And I'm looking at his sleeve. And uh, it looks more like a lieutenant braid than a lieutenant junior grade braid. So he got a big promotion. Well, or this is, you know, who knows? I mean, I found one place on the web (laughs) that that says what the braid is. And the braid looks accurate as far as captain and commander and that kind of stuff. But I just was never familiar with lieutenant. Anyway, so good for Chekhov on both... You know, being promoted, and you got a little thing going with Ahura. Bueno. Right. Yep, didn't see that coming. Did not see that coming. Hmm. But yeah, so what does R-H-I-P stand for? Did you figure that out? I do not know. If you didn't have the H in there, rest in peace, obviously. Right, right. Uh, But what is the H? Um, And that really would be kind of morbid if it was... (laughs) (laughs) Rest hilariously in peace. No, that doesn't make sense. Rest anyway, whatever it is. Uh, did you did you search? It says rank has its privileges. Oh, there you go. Rank has its. Pr- that's perfect. Yeah, so he gets his own room and his own communications officer. If you know what I'm saying, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Uhura who is very hot. Yeah, very attractive yeah. lady. Yeah, it's very weird. I don't. I don't get it. I don't. I mean, I don't know why they suddenly have a relationship. I would have rather them kind of hinted with her and Scotty since that's what was in Star Trek 5 even though that came out of nowhere as well yep well they were hanging out with Trouble with Tribbles right you know they were walking around the space station 
Right. So yeah, if you ever hang out with somebody, that automatically means well, you're dating. I I don't know. <laughs> at least there was something that could be looked at as kind of sort of a precedent. But I always thought they were just friends. Yeah. Same here. Oh. Until Cybok opened opened them up to more. <sighs> Apparently. Okay. So it was uh, Star Trek Four. Wasn't it Ohura and Chekhov that went to find the nuclear of Wessels? Yeah, on the USS Enterprise, or the, uh, the Enterprise, whatever its initials are. Uh, HMS right. Enterprise? No, what is well, not H- Enterprise. <laughs> no, I think U- what, U.S. Navy? USN? Yeah. I don't know. Um, yes. Yeah, they were together. Because uh, yeah. he was off getting the, the helicopter. Right. And Scotty was getting the transparent aluminum. I, I thought it was kind of funny that you know, the nuclear vessels. And then it turned out to be the Enterprise. And I thought it was just, wasn't it, wasn't it Chekhov that said, like, Ahura, look, it's the Enterprise. I thought that was cool. Yeah. No, it was really cool. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Yeah, that, 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 that was a good episode. Or a movie. That was a great a movie. movie. I love that. You don't have to have high stakes, stuff blowing up, and you don't always need a villain. There was no villain in that. And that uh, we were the villain in oh, uh, killing uh, are killing our animals for for food and sport. Oh, but that wasn't okay. Yeah, so we there was a message to be communicated, and I think I think it's a very good message. But there was no villain in that. I guess the probe was also a villain. It was trying to destroy Earth. Okay, okay. And then, con, uh, then but uh, but was it? Kirk beamed over to it, and he was like, "Probe." <laughs> no, he didn't. No, okay. he didn't. So, okay, but. That probe didn't necessarily have a malevolent intent. It just gave off some kind of whatevers that completely screwed up the weather on Earth. Yep. I mean, did they actually say they knew that was a malevolent act? No. Yeah. I just want to say, you don't. Star Trek does not always need to have a villain. Although yeah, now, it helps. That, now that Discovery is in the future, I'm really hoping that. They can bring back the probe, you know, that this is, you know, it's it's coming back around again to check on the whales. Oh. <laughs> It'd be kind of a cool little Easter egg to throw back at us. Uh, yeah. Or bring uh, back V'ger. I mean, V'ger comes back around. It's been a few thousand years or so. Uh, or, yeah. So the... Check on its creator. Right. So the V'ger slash Elia... Slash Decker, yeah. combined entity. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They could do all kinds of things. So now, I guess we're going to talk about this with Brian in an upcoming episode, but the fact they brought back uh, the Gateway, the Guardian of Forever. Right. Sure. So uh, just briefly, because I don't want to talk about it a lot, because we got to save that for the Brian thing, but did you like that they brought back the Guardian? Yeah, yeah I thought it was good. I, I thought it was good, too. I mean, I, I had no idea what it was, that guy, until... You know, the big reveal. <laughs> they show the machine. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was good. Me too. I enjoyed that. That was great. Um, it's not consistent with, uh, you know, he seemed to be able to send her halfway to the other universe instead of instead of in the original Guardian where he says that he can't control where you go. You just It just depends on when you jump in. So uh, it's a little different than the Guardian from the old show. Occurrence of time. Well, yeah, and the original Guardian, as far as we knew, only could control time travel. Right. 
not necessarily dimensional travel. Yep, that was new too. So, wh- so yeah, but it, and she didn't really even go back because none of those events could have happened. So even when she came back, she's like, you know, it was almost like a Christmas Carol. Did that really happen? I was like, oh, what do you think? You know, it was it was it was very Christmas Carol-y to me that old those old two episodes. <laughs> yeah, but in the end, where did he send her to be in the Michelle Yeoh spinoff series if she does right. end up being in one? Right, exactly. Yeah, who knows? She, she could be in the Picard show. She could, you know, show up in the Strange New World show. She could. Yeah, they could do anything with her. They could do anything with that. But her getting her own show, I'm thinking not. Yeah, they've been wanting that for a long time. So it seems. And everybody and people were conjecturing about. I mean, they never admitted, or did they? I don't know. No, they but, said there was a Section Thirty One show. Okay. At but, one point. But that's not where she went. At least it well, didn't seem like it. Know. Well, she went back sometime in the prime timeline when the two universes were closer together. So that would have been, you know, in, in the Star Trek or Star Trek Next Generation timeline because that's when they were the closest together. That's mm-hmm. what the Guardian said. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll see. All right. Shall we move on to 19 now? Let's do 19. All right. So this one's entitled The Hunger. And it came out December of 2017. Uh, it has one cover, and it's kind of a weird one. It shows Kirk falling, uh, so his head's down towards the uh, bottom of the book. He's falling down a long shaft of uh, white uh, pillars and uh, random lights. And then <coughs> we see just... Luke Skywalker. <coughs> Luke, Luke. <laughs> I guess it does look a little bit like when Luke fell on Bespin. Uh, but, a little? Yeah, just a little. He has both of his arms. <laughs> <laughs> How true. But the weird part is, is that as he's falling, we just see random cutouts of Spock, McCoy, and Scotty just kind of watching. But they're just like random floating heads. Uh, it's it's not a very good cover. I, I didn't care for it too much. Yeah, and, and Spock's reaction kind of makes sense. It's like, holy, holy for holies. Kirk is falling. I mean, so, so he's got a surprised look on his face, and he's looking kind of down. So that kind of makes sense. But then Scotty and and look on Scotty and McCoy's face is like, mm, I don't know if that quite matches, but the situation. But whatever. Right. It looks like Scotty's getting ready to argue with somebody about something, and McCoy is like, about to say, "You green-blooded Vulcan." Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Maybe they're just all shocked that they don't have bodies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's just like, where's our buddies? Anyways, you good? I'm good, except that that the heads, the disembodied heads, completely reminded me of Futurama. Oh, when they're in jars? Yes. Especially Nimoy, who was in the jar head a couple times. Or in the jar, the head in the jar a couple times. Right. That was a good show. That's a great show. Back to the story. Um, it's, uh, like I said, very reminiscent to the last one, I think. So the Enterprise arrives at a dead, lifeless planet that has been stripped of all its quote-unquote life energy, as proposed by the lieber Kurtzberg theory that McCoy brings up. Spock states that this theory has never been proven, um, 
has never proven that there is an unknown requirement, uh, this unknown energy that's somehow required for there to be life on a planet. But uh, again, McCoy insists that uh, this is what it seems like. So while they're on the lifeless planet, the crew find uh, lots of abandoned structures, lots of dust, and they find the bones of dozens of people all huddled together. And then suddenly they start to feel their own life energies ebbing. So they do an emergency beam up back to the ship. Spock now states that McCoy might be right. And now it's Scotty's turn to play the naysayer, calling it a bunch of hoodoo. Uh, they then use long-range scans to show that there's several other planets that have fallen just like this one. They're able to do some triangulation, and they find the path of destruction. And they kind of guess where it's going to next. So they travel to where they think it might be going next, and en route, they come across a large green Death Star thing. So it's a giant moon, but not a moon. It's an artificial moon, and very green. They scan it and say that it's hollow inside, but has breathable atmospheres. So they go ahead and beam over. There they find lots of towers and grass. When the red shirt Bachman pulls up some of the grass, tiny purple creatures show up and kill him dead. The creatures then repair the divot and seem to completely ignore the rest of the crew that's there. They then drag the body to an orifice that uh, just suddenly appeared in a concrete wall. Kirk starts banging on the wall where the hole used to be when suddenly the whole planet shakes and this causes him to break through the wall and start to fall. Spock and McCoy then note that Kirk is still falling even though it's been like six minutes. Meanwhile on the Enterprise, Sulu notes that the planet-shaped thing is now moving in a new direction. This time it is heading towards the lush worlds of Federation space. Sulu thinks that this is a big enough emergency that he orders the transport of the crew back to the ship. Only McCoy, Scotty, and Spock return. Spock informs Sulu that the captain is lost for the moment. Meanwhile, Kirk is still falling towards the center of the planetoid. Eventually, he's confronted by a large crystalline entity. This thing tells Kirk that he is learning and surviving and has more right to the life force than the people on the planet that he drains. Kirk is eventually stripped naked and slowly tortured slash drained of his life. Spock has a plan to lure the planet to a double black hole. There the planet will be destroyed and it will save the countless other worlds that would be in its path. They are able to simulate the life force through the ship somehow. This causes the planet to change course, and it blindly follows the Enterprise. The plan works, and the planet is soon caught up in the black hole's pull. It starts to crumble, and Scotty's able to get a hold of Kirk's signal, but he cannot quite rematerialize him yet. The Kirk cannot wait, so they do a few impossible maneuvers, including exceeding warp factor 10, to eventually break away from the twin black hole's gravity pull. Once they're back in the normal space, the transporter is able to finalize the beam and Kirk rematerializes from the pattern buffer. But he's gravely hurt. This is all off screen, but McCoy says Kirk has suffered burns over 80% of his body and will need emergency medical treatment. 
We flash forward to some time later. Kirk is now in bed in sickbay, recovering, and McCoy and Spock are there with him. Kirk talks about how the alien had probed his mind and how he was able to block it by thinking of quiet. The end. By oh, thinking of quiet. Hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? I no, not really. <laughs> but uh, okay. So we got this alien thingamadoo, which is hanging out above the ecliptic plane of the galaxy, right? Right, yeah. It doesn't deviate from the plane of the galaxy. Well, yeah, so it's above. It's, it's above the, pl- the, the, the plane of the galaxy. So it doesn't, apparently it doesn't know about all those juicy life-filled planets further south. Right. So... Um, I thought it was really interesting that they had just gone up. <laughs> I mean, every time you think of Star Trek traveling around or anything, really, everybody's like in the ecliptic plane, right? So they're just right. moving from planet to planet, you know, whatever. Very two-dimensional thinking. Right. But you can go up, and there's a whole bunch of planets up above the ecliptic plane, too. And I thought it was very interesting They talked about there being, or Spock talked about there being millions of planets even further away from the ecliptic plane, from where they were. And I just thought that whole thing was kind of really interesting. Yeah, and then, it's always interesting to think about that. Right. Um, that it's not just a straight shot from here to Romulus. You also have to either go, you know, north or south of the ecliptic plane. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was a very interesting idea. Now, what Byrne did with that idea... It's like, oh, uh, uh, but I just thought that was really interesting. And they did bring up multiple scientific kind of techno babble things. A little, right. a little, a little uh, next gen of them. But I, you know, that's fine. Okay. I kind of like that. It so, reminded me a little bit of next gen. Yeah. And I love that he, you know, they're talking about a gigantic entity that devours planets. Oh, okay. And I love that he called this life force that it was absorbing the Lieber-Kurtzberg theory. Right. Which is Stan Lee's name is Lieber and Jack Kirby's name is Kurtzberg. Oh! So it's whoa. actually a nod to Galactus, the, the world eater. Oh, wow. Cool. So that's what Galacticus or whatever, that's what he, he lives on. Yeah, he's the, the devourer of worlds. I think that's what they call him. Oh, cool. Well, I, I knew he did that. I just right. didn't know well, specifically I know where he got his nourishment from. But yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't. I don't think. He, I don't think this life force thing is a thing in Marvel. But oh, okay. The so concept the concept of of it is, you know, of of a world eater. And this was John Byrne's little nod to Galactus that way by calling it. You know, what he's feeding on is is named after them. So, I it was cool. so they bothered to change their name. Yeah, because they were Jewish, and it was the oh. uh, it was the sixties uh, and fifties, and uh, they, they, McCarthyism they, was still floating around, or the aftermath of it, or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I, oh, interesting. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of uh, a lot of actors, even or a lot of you know professionals, even today, have to change their name because it sounds too ethnic. One ethnic way and one way. exactly yeah. right, 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 right. Well, it's yeah, sad. it's like oh god. So many actors' names are just so Caucasian and so bland. So often, two first names. It's like... Right. Bad. 
Now, yeah. I love Stan Lee's name. I mean, it, it, he picked a perfect uh, name because cause it, Stan Lee is a name, right? You could say, oh, so you could always throw in Easter eggs by naming somebody Stan Lee in your, in your story. Mm-hmm. You know, have a different last name, but his first name's Stan Lee. And then, you know, so just call him Stan, but his name's Stan Lee. And then it's also a nod to the publisher of Marvel, Stan right. Lee. Right. So I thought I, I just thought that was really cool that he, uh, you know, because I never heard of this life force thing before. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I never heard it before is because John Byrne just made it up. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded believable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's even talking about it's. It was, uh, you know hypothesized 200 years ago but never proven i thought that was pretty funny oh that that is good that's very good it's the force it's the force baby <laughs> so but anyways yeah cool so, yeah this cool. is this is john burns uh galactus just that a is giant cool. crystalline entity <sighs> a chris actually more silicon because if you look at this sphere yeah i mean it's circuit boards i mean the the whole thing the whole outer layer of the sphere is just images oh. of printed circuit boards just kind of like overlapping each other kind of like some old dilapidated tin roof or something that's that's interesting yeah now that you mention it I yeah how did i just that <laughs> so he, he decided to implement the sphere using just overlapping images of, of circuit boards right. which i thought that was an interesting choice it does look cool yeah, yeah, it looks fine. Yeah. I didn't care for it when they were inside of it, and it had those like white pillars and grass and things like that. That that all kind of, kind of seemed silly to me. Yeah, and that those little purple creatures only attacked you if you step on the grass or. <sighs> yeah, grass. right. And in the end, the entity or entities—I don't know—that are in there and torturing Kirk and stuff. I mean. So they they never actually showed anything. I mean, they didn't show like a figure or something, no, uh, like no. a humanoid or anything like that. Anyway. No, there there is one shot where on page twenty five of the book where it shows like a purple oh, a hand? skeletal hand, but right. you never see anything more than that. So I was always kind of confused if that was really supposed to be the creature's hand or or what. Oh, that that was Bachman's body, wasn't it? Oh, that's Bachman's body? Yeah, Kirk says, Bachman, what have you oh, done have you to done his done body? body? Oh, okay, okay. So he's, like, absorbing it? I guess so. And, and like you say, it's all looks like desiccated. So, like, like the outer, a lot of the outer flesh is gone. And, like, you almost see, like, some kind of remaining dry flesh over a skeletal hand. Right. So that's, so that's what Kirk was on his way to becoming. Yeah, but he when was they, able to when just they hold it off. Well, Bachman was already dead, so I, yeah. guess, I guess that's why he didn't get to get stripped naked and just start screaming. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it, it was kind of weird. And I'm glad they didn't show Kirk with 80% of his body burnt off. That would have been a pretty gruesome panel. Yeah. Although, we did read a Year 5 issue. Where Kirk was also burnt. Yeah, with those engines or whatever they were inside the. the However, they did that thing on ship. Torture thing. Right. Yeah, so that was year five, issue 14. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, the trial that the Klingon put him through. Right. Dev Voquil was the bad guy. Anyway, so he was all like burnt, and he looked really nasty. Like like his right eye was all red and bloodshot, and his skin was all black. <laughs> so you know, basically, some of these writers really want to put Kirk through the mill. Right. Well, I mean, he is the hero. He is the hero, and we must put him through trials, bad trials. I mean, they never did anything like that to Kirk in the show. He zapped him to another universe, and he could only appear in little ghost forms. Oh, okay. So... Yes, uh, he didn't have physical torture too much, because I'm sure the, you know, the censors would not allow that. <laughs> well, they did have the that episode, The Empath, is the closest thing to that I think they had. Which I'm not sure, but that... That might have been where they got the uh, shirtless Kirk thing. Oh, really? In this issue. So there was one called The Empath, where Kirk, Spock, and McCoy were, they were supposed to beam someplace, and then when they materialized, they were like in a weird place where they didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> so it was like all like a void. So they couldn't afford a set. And there was a woman there who never said anything. and Anyway, so there was some stuff going on there where McCoy and, and Kirk were tortured. Huh. And it was really McCoy that took the real, the real torture. Um, I don't remember that one. Yeah, yeah. But All right. Anyway, the look, it look it up. And I think that's where they got that, that picture of Kirk in discomfort. Right. I really enjoyed seeing Captain Sulu. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like he Sulu. wasn't Captain Sulu yet, but he took charge. He made the decision. You know, Captain left me in charge. What would Kirk do? He made the decision. It turned out to be the right call. Loved it. Yeah, and he even went against uh, what Ahura was suggesting. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, I thought it was good. Yeah, I'm glad that he's putting in scenes like that that shows him in a command role. I, I agree. Could not agree more. But in one of those scenes, when he's talking to the crewman Tommy, that's like one of the uh, one of the bad shots of Byrne putting somebody else's head on top of uh, <laughs> that's true. somebody's body. I mean, it, it looks it doesn't look good. Bad. It looks like it's not even Photoshop. It looks like it's it's scissors and paper time <laughs> <laughs> and glue. Right. Yeah. yeah, and then the guy next to him. I mean, if you look at his hands, he looks like a black man. But then if you look at another panel. He has black hands and a black forehead, but a white face. So it's it's a very odd. Uh, Ooh, that's whoever weird. that guy is supposed to be. Uh, he's oh, a very weird hodgepodge between multiple People. actors. <laughs> but he's on the side. No one's going to notice except for Donovan. <laughs> it kind of jumped out at me. Yeah, as it should. I did not notice that. <laughs> don't think I have anything of, uh, of interest to, to comment on. Uh, oh, no. okay, so here, here's just my last thing, just okay. brief. And it's kind of hard to describe because it's on page 30, and it shows Spock uncharacteristically at Sulu's station with, you know, Sulu's little viewfinder thing that pops up, his viewmaster. Yeah. Pops up from the console. It was cool seeing Spock there, and then McCoy's looking over his shoulder, and then Sulu's over over on the side, and the Spock and the McCoy thing looks right, but Sulu looks way short. Was he on his knees? 
I'm not quite sure what was going on there, but um, I, I just I'm just commenting that I think it was an assembled picture. So maybe Spock was there and McCoy. Maybe those two were part of an original picture. But right. then I think Sulu was put in there. Yeah. On his knees. <laughs> and then to make it more realistic looking, they've got a shadow that Sulu's head and shoulders make on McCoy's body. So I thought that was cool. That was a nice touch. Right. And I'm not 100% sure whether Sulu's viewfinder was in the shot that had... Uh, Spock and McCoy, but they've got a great shadow of the viewfinder against Spock's body too. So I don't know whether that was added or not. But I, I just I just like looking how he assembles some of these things together and and uses a lot of well some in some cases more care and time than others and on, on other uh, yeah. Right. But I, I think this was a well assembled picture. Yeah, just Sulu's shirt does seem like a little off colored. Oh, it's, it's very orangey. And then in the next mm-hmm. panel, it's back to yellow or gold. Green. Yeah, so, well, green? at least I'm looking at it. And I don't know, my, my monitor might be a little bit different from yours, but I completely agree with you, and I did not notice that before. That's quite a difference in color. Right. I agree with you. But still, I mean, the, like the word balloons above uh, Sulu's head, I mean, it takes up all the room between Sulu's head and the top of the border. Mm-hmm. So if he was any taller than and he would have had to move the word balloons over McCoy's head or something. So, Oh, is that what? So that's the I, theory why I don't know. they I mean, made him so I'm short? Just saying, Cause his I'm just head, saying, if he was any taller, then where would they have put the words? Yeah. Because Spock is supposedly sitting at Sulu Station. Yeah, and Sulu seems the same height as exactly. Spock. Exactly. Yeah. So how did that no, work? You're right. I didn't notice it when, when I was reading it, but you are right. He does seem shorter than he should. We welcome you to the lollipop kids. The lollipop kids. Yep. Or he's or he's a midget. Okay, that's my last comment. So, uh, did you notice that the uh, the twin black holes look like uh, googly eyes staring at the Enterprise? Yeah, <laughs> googly eyes. Yes, I definitely noticed it looked like eyes. That's funny. And so the Enterprise is moving forward and you know that could be either eyes looking down at you or maybe breasts it could be many things it depends where your mind is at the time but yes i'm going with googly eyes (laughs) okay and the enterprise is flying right between them exactly he they're heading for the cleavage gap okay Uh, all right anything else Uh, no all right, so next week, uh, 20 and 21 of the same series. Why not? Yeah, close to the end. See so, what Mr. Ben has for us next week. Yeah, then we'll be almost done. We'll only have what, one more issue of the series. Okay. And we, that Cage special, but that just seems to be a... Uh, a rehash. A rehash of the Menagerie episode. Or not yeah. the Menagerie episode, the um, Cage episode. Pilot. Right, yeah, the original pilot. That was chopped up to make the menagerie. Right. Well, thank you everybody for listening, and we'll be back next week with episode three, three, nine. Nine. Man, we're getting up there. <laughs> we are. <laughs> and we're running out of comics. I know, it's sad. See you next week, folks. Later. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. 
All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.